Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. This year, transgender liberation is at the forefront of Pride Month discourse, with a staggering number of conservative, religious, and gender-critical-backed bills challenging trans people's rights to use public restrooms, participate in organized sports, and even expect inclusive language at the doctor's office. These would-be laws seek to legislate and restrict trans identity, especially that of trans children, despite the fact that trans people have always existed and will continue to exist, living lives that sometimes include having children of their own. For trans masculine writer Chris Malcolm Belk, pregnancy taught him more about gender identity and transition than he expected, an embodied experience that ultimately encouraged him to begin hormone replacement therapy. In his stunning experimental debut, The Natural Mother of the Child, a memoir of non-binary parenthood, Belk uses original photographs and documents to outline the expansion of his family and the surprising revelations of this journey. The result is a can't-miss book about trans identity and parenthood full of poignancy, humor, and love. Today on the New Books Network, join us as we sit down with Chris Malcolm Belk to learn more about The Natural Mother of the Child, available now from CounterPoint. Chris, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So first, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family as depicted in your memoir? Um, What was the journey to parenthood for you and your wife like? Sure. So um, the book ends when my middle child was five years old and he's about to turn eight. So I have three children. Um, I have a son named Sean, who's nine, a son named Samson, who is about to be eight. And then um, Zizi is five and a half. Um, I'm in my early to mid thirties. I'm 33 and my partner's 37. So we had our children starting in our mid twenties. Um, and I think that we didn't think a whole lot about what it would be like to have kids as queer people. When we went into it, uh, we sort of always knew that we wanted to have kids together. I think I was kind of on the fast track and in a little bit of a rush to do that. Um, I was working as a high school teacher and not so happy with my first couple of teaching jobs and really just wanted to do something else (laughs) with my time. Um, So we decided to have children. Um, I was 25 when Sean was born and we used a friend as a known donor. um, So our children kind of know their genetic origins and they have access to the person who's their other parent. Um, we were really lucky to be living in Philadelphia when our children were conceived. And so we had like relatively queer friendly um, reproductive endocrinologists and then midwives. Um, the interesting thing is that we traded off having our children. So Anna gave birth to Sean in 2012 and then I had Samson in 2013. They're 13 months apart. Um and I think that that is where the sort of interest interest lies in our family. I think there's a lot of rich material for memoir in queer family building to begin with, because queer people come to their 
families in so many different ways and also have such a diverse set of experiences with their families of origin and with what they're trying to do when they create their families. Um, And for us, I really think we were just trying to have children close in age and um, trying to split the labor. And for me, I, I watched Anna go through pregnancy and it didn't seem like such a big deal, which sounds very reductive, but she had, (laughs) she had sort of like a, like an easy pregnancy and she gave birth in a birth center with a midwife. And, um, I don't think that at the time I would have used this language, but now looking back many years ago and having been with her for a second postpartum period, I think after she had Sean, she definitely was going through a period of postpartum depression or at least like lowness. Um, and I was kind of like, great, now I, I can kind of step in and, and do part of this labor. Um, and at the time, I had not medically transitioned, but I have had a trans identity for a long time. But that didn't really feel like a particular barrier to me before I embarked on this journey. Um, and then once I was a few years out from it, I realized that it, in fact, was a huge deal. <laughs> And that I had a a lot of thoughts about it and that I really needed to start to write about it. Mm -hmm. So in The Natural Mother of the Child, you're very frank about your experience of pregnancy as a trans masculine person, including your simultaneous desire to become a parent to Samson, your middle child, while also wanting some of the embodied qualities of pregnancy to be over. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what the embodied experiences of pregnancy were like for you during that time. On the one hand, I think that pregnancy for me was very similar to the way that it is for a lot of people of various genders, including cis women, where it's sort of something that you have to get through in order to get a baby. Um, And, you know, it's like, it's a little weird. It's a little physically unpleasant. Um, There's a lot of like stretching feelings and feelings of movement that I don't think are gendered in the way that they're just a strange experience of embodiment. Um, But for me, there was an extra added layer of kind of like a sense of doom and dread that set in soon after I became pregnant that I hadn't, I hadn't really fully thought through what it would be like, because I think I didn't know. So Mm. once I got pregnant, I was kind of like, all right, like, I know that I am not totally jazzed about like the body that I was born with and the way that people perceive my gender. But like, this is a lot like I just really, I think, didn't think it would be as intense as it was. Um, So I had the experience of trying to like process that while it was happening. But at the same time, pregnancy is a very limited period of time, like it can feel endless while you're going through it. But it's really just not that long. Um, so, yeah, I, I I felt like it was something that I had to get through. And in a way, I think once it was over, I felt guilty that I had had that mindset placed on it, that I had spent the whole time wishing that it would end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt a lot of kind of shame about that. But I think that talking to friends who are mostly cis women about their experiences with pregnancy and then seeing a couple of them go through subsequent pregnancies with like their second and third kid or whatever. Um, a lot of people feel the same way. And I think that I wish that it was something that people talked about or wrote about more. Um, and that was more of like a public kind of experience of pregnancy, um, that it's like actually not that great. Um, and something else that I think about pregnancy and transness, like when I'm thinking about them side by side, is that in a lot of ways, 
pregnancy is a transition period. Like you are making a decision to take on a new body that feels like it's in a very heightened state of change for a small period of time, but then it never goes back to being quite the same after anyway. Like you have always been through this experience and the body that you carry has always been through this experience. Um, regardless of what headlines might say about how someone's looking just a few months after they had a baby, like things are just really not the same anymore. Um, and going through that experience for me made it, it empowered me to go through other bodily changes personally. Like I was kind of like, I've been through a huge bodily change that was very public that people had comments on that is very meaningful. And I came out on the other side and I can do it again. Um, so for me, pregnancy almost naturally led into physical, like medical transition in a way that I think is probably not as uncommon as readers might think it is. Mm. Well, I'm really glad that you brought that up because it transitions kind of beautifully into a question that I had about that. So on the dedication page of the book, um, you actually thank Samson for teaching me me. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about how pregnancy and parenthood has helped you to learn more about your identity as a transmasculine person? Yeah, it's it's another thing that I feel a push and pull about because I don't think that our children are here to teach us things. Like we, they don't exist as a vehicle for our own epiphanies and transformations. Like they're just people. And as a parent, like I voluntarily brought this person who did not ask to be here into the world. So my primary responsibility to him is like, I mean, at this age, it's mostly like to supply him with audiobooks and feed him lots of snacks. But um, I do think that had I not gone through that experience, I might never have um, transitioned using hormones, which is something that's been an extremely positive experience that I went through. Like I, I don't think that anything about pregnancy or birth changed my gender identity. I I think before I had kids, I was using the word gender queer a lot to describe the way that I felt about gender. And now I tend to use non-binary, which I think feels more like a um, sea change in how people talk about gender versus like my real identification with one word over the other. Um, mm -hmm. But I those were sort of the the frames that I put on my own gender when I was thinking about it. And I, I had been thinking, would I like to take testosterone probably since I was like in college, like watching YouTube videos of people who did it and reading about it and, and like always on the verge of making an appointment to go talk to someone about it, but then being like, I don't, I don't know that this is something that I really want. I don't know that I want the world to witness me in this transition. So I do think that like, again, the public experience of pregnancy and having like gone through that, and it just wasn't a big deal, empowered me to take tea. Like at this point, I don't, I've, I, I started hormones well over five years ago. So people just, I just look the way that I look and, and it's kind of it, um, except aging. Um, but I was very, very, very anxious about what it would be like to start hormones and to have people like witness my body in that state of movement, like from one place to another. Um, mm -hmm. And I do think that the like pregnancy period and then the postpartum period where your body is very visibly different from moment to moment and people notice it and they like absolutely have to comment on it. And 
all of that, I was kind of like, it just wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it was going to be. Although I have many thoughts about it. I don't think that it's a reason not to do it. Like, and I feel the same way about having Sam Samson. Like I obviously am glad that he exists. He was a very like planned child. Um, and the period of time when I just like didn't want to leave my house because people would like say weird stuff to me about being pregnant, like was so temporary. Mm-hmm. So speaking of, of language, uh, the title of the book is The Natural Mother of the, T- of the Child, which is a term that you originally struggled with on your children's adoption forms. So what does the term mean? And can you talk about your choice to use the term as the title of the memoir? Yeah, how I feel about that, I think has changed a lot from, I spent about three years writing the book. And in the beginning, when I was writing about my relationship to the word mother, and this idea of the natural mother of the child, I um, was feeling a lot of like anger about being typecast that way and having been described that way. And having a lot of memories of people like calling me my children's mother and just having to basically testify to being their mother in order to like be on exist on their birth certificates and go through these adoptions that we had to go through. Like I had a lot of like um, indignant sort of feelings about it. And then at some point after I had started writing, I um, like did a legal document change. Like I, finally like formally changed my name to the name that I had been using for quite some time. And I changed my gender marker on my identification and all that. Um, And I realized that it was just as like cartoonishly incorrect almost like it took on a, an almost humor to me because I had, you know, my physician had to write a letter that was basically like, Chris is such a dude. He's doing so well on testosterone. It's going amazing. He is a man, 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 exclamation, Mm -hmm. you know, like it was very much like, (laughs) in order to change from female to man on I to male on identification, you have to just really lean into the binary. Um, so I, it started taking on an almost like bent sense of humor to me. So I think that for me, it, it holds both. Although I imagine that especially for cis readers who are less familiar with like trans people's relationship to like identification documents and the words that we use, like it does have a a level of seriousness to it. Um, Especially I think the way that it's presented when it starts coming in, in the book um, later on is when that like phrase starts being repeated over and over again. And by that point um, some dark stuff has happened. So I think that it it has a more serious tone, but I, I think that like using it as the title of the book and including it so many times in the book, um, for me was like an act of defiance as much as questioning what those words even mean. Um, and so step aside from the word mother for a second, cause that's like where, you know, what I've been talking about is, is centered on the idea of being a mother versus a father or a man versus a woman. Um, the idea of someone being a natural parent is very strange to me. It's like a word that's used a lot, not only to talk about parentage, but also to talk about the kinds of births that people have and the way that like babies come into the world. It takes on this like level of significance that is basically like made up. And Mm -hmm. I think that trans people have a special lens on that. If they take hormones and there's this idea of like, if the hormone is not naturally present in your body, then it's like less 
real, but it's, it's obviously not just not the way that hormones work, right? So like this binary of natural versus unnatural is something that I think is built into the way that I see the world. So it just lent like another level of ridiculousness to the fact that this is the way that I was described in relationship to my children. Mm -hmm. So your memoir enumerates some of the challenges that face all parents, but also sheds light on a few that are specific to trans parenting, such as when your child Samson is questioned and even teased by other kids in his class for saying that his dad gave birth to him. Um, so as a parent, how have you navigated situations like these as they come up? It's not easy. Um, and because I'm not a seasoned parent of older children, it's something that kind of keeps evolving. Um, the incident that I write about in the book where Sam's classmates were just like, that's not real. That doesn't happen. I think he was probably five and in like a pre-K kind of setting. Um, and we had not really prepared him for the fact that that might happen. I think that he knew that most kids are carried by their moms and they have a sense because my Anna works as a labor and delivery nurse. So they like have a pretty good understanding of like how are babies made? What are all the different ways they're made? What are different families like? Like, but not necessarily the negative social implication of falling outside the norm. Um, and after that experience that I wrote about in the book, we had started, especially with Samson, like, because he took that so negatively, we were preparing him, like almost forecasting bad reactions to things that he might do or say, um, because he seemed to be a person who needed to know, like how people might react. So things like, you can absolutely tell anyone that you want that your parent is trans, but just so you know, some people don't like trans people. So like, don't be surprised if someone says something off color, that's not mm -hmm. like what our family believes. And it says nothing about you. It says more about the person saying it. So that that's how we sort of approach that with him. But then every time you have a kid, your experience of parenting like changes. So our third kid's easy. Um, has been like doing some gender experimenting and trying on different like um, pronouns and trying out different names and just like go going through like a really cool period of self-exploration. And they go to a very progressive preschool where like multiple teachers are non-binary and they talk explicitly about gender stuff. And um, Zizi is going to be going to public kindergarten next year. And we're talking about like, how they don't seem to need to know that people don't like it. Like it doesn't seem to matter. The social implications of what they're doing don't mm. seem to resonate as strongly. So it's like I had developed this sense that children should be prepared to know that like being trans is weird. And now I'm like, is that just because I think that and I'm still in a mindset of reacting to that? So I had like done all this like work around having Sam build up this tough skin, whereas that doesn't necessarily have to be a truth and possibility for all children or children react to it differently. So all of this to say is that it's complicated. And I think that um, where the book ends is really where as a family, we started having to talk about this and work it out because before that it had just not been an issue. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I'm interested to see kind of how the ways that we talk about gender and identity, like develop over time. And I am trying to 
be open to the fact that my children might talk about it like more than I'm comfortable or not at all. And I have to be like, okay, with wherever they fall on how public they want to be about like being a part of a family that has like one and possibly more trans people in it. Mm-hmm. So speaking of some of these negative reactions from the public, um, something that's cropped up on Twitter a lot this year is the public debate, and I put debate in scare scare quotes, um, on preserving words like maternal and mother in obstetrics literature, despite the fact that more and more trans men and non-binary folks are becoming pregnant, giving birth. So how does this framing of language work to exclude trans parents from medical spaces? It's interesting to me because there is no way to exclude trans people from having children. Like we've been doing it and we're going to keep doing it. Like if someone has a uterus and they have access to sperm and they desire or not to make a child, they might engage in that behavior. So what I'm seeing is medical settings trying to adjust to that reality, like not even to try to be proactive and welcome more trans people to engage in family building, but just to be like, this happens and we need to adjust to that. Um, So the backlash is very, it's just straight up reactive transphobia that I find very alarming because it harms people who are already doing the thing that is like supposedly not supposed to happen, right? Like I think that if it, the people who are kind of talking about like, we always have to use the word mother. I'm like, that doesn't change the fact that trans men are going to come to your hospital or whatever, you know, (laughs) there's nothing you can do to stop us. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting to me just because it is so prevalent this year. And I think it's part of a huge movement just to like publicly shame and control trans people and our joy and thriving. Um, And it's, it's interesting to me just because like, I don't know, my partner and I always casually talk about like whether we want to have more children in the future, because we're like, always like talking about new careers, and we're Zillow people, like we're always in this like constant state of reinvention. So that's something that we talk about. And it's interesting to me that as someone who gave birth almost eight years ago, it's now like much more overtly transphobic to do so. Um, I find it like extremely alarming. And I also notice that only queer people are talking about it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't have like a, like anything interesting to say about it. I think that hasn't already been said. I just think that I think about it, like whatever language you're using or not using doesn't change the reality that people are going to have children. It's, it's almost like a, repeat of like if we give people sex ed that's comprehensive something will change like we know that that is not necessarily true in fact people just will have more control over their fertility which is a good thing for everyone um Mm -hmm. but you're not going to change the fact that people like have sex or are queer or have kids by talking about it um yeah i do i i i think that it's very it's very alarming and um, it, it lends almost a new, like not a new negativity, but just a, an air, a sinister air to many of the 
support networks that I've relied on for now since I was pregnant, you know, eight plus years ago. Um, there were very active, kind of like they're mostly on Facebook, like groups that are about trans masculine people having babies. And I've met a lot of people like me on these groups and I've been in touch with our kids are now like, you know, in real kids school and doing things and some of their kids are 10 plus years old and it's always been like a very we are trying to make a space for ourselves in a world that doesn't recognize us versus like this world that recognizes us as some sort of sinister and new thing um Mm -hmm. which feels like much more nefarious and i i feel glad that my book is coming out now um because it is about like trying to make a way when it was just less public and less recognized. So I think that I was able to have a freedom and a, an almost like tenderness writing about the experience that I think if I got pregnant today, like I would have a much different experience of just like vitriol being part of my pregnancy that wasn't really part of my experience before. Mm-hmm. So another Twitter question for you. Um, yes. <laughs> so recently you wrote that one of your dreams was for readers to consider your book alongside the literature of motherhood. Uh, so as the natural mother of the child is being included on more and more recommended lists of books about motherhood, what are you hoping that your book will contribute to this discourse? Yeah, I think of motherhood literature as something that's like a, a circle with a very porous boundary that I'm hoping to just kind of like smush out a little bit. Um, in terms of who's allowed to talk about motherhood with their like gender, like what genders are allowed to talk about motherhood and their relationship to it and um, its meaning in their lives. Like, I think that that genre has always been like very white and middle-class and focused on people who like build their families at like what society considers an appropriate time to have a baby. And I fit in, I am white and I am middle-class and I had my, kid when I was 26. So I do fit into like that part of it. But there aren't a lot of stories of like non-binary and trans gestational parenthood in that space. So I'm hoping to like, be a part of the movement of people who aren't white middle class women who are talking about motherhood. Um, And at the same time, like, yes, I want to like push on boundaries and join a conversation that like possibly isn't doesn't conceive of itself as being meant for me, but also moms are like my people like that. Mm -hmm. That's like in my daily life in Philadelphia, like the, the best friends that I have are moms. That's like who I gravitate towards as my closest friends. Um, And like, I am a person that a lot of people come to for like advice about like breastfeeding and strollers and like all of that kind of like new parent stuff just because like we've done it a number of times and like I've thought a lot about it obviously so I I just I want to be in that conversation not only because it's like I'm raising my eyebrow and want to like push on it a little bit but also like I just like it and I'm glad that my writing will be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so another another really interesting thing about this memoir that you've written is that it's described as a visual memoir in essays with documents, photographs incorporated into the text. You write that it felt natural to look back on photos of your own childhood when your kids were young and included several of them in the memoir. So um, could you tell us what is the function of these visual texts in the memoir as you see it? Yeah, before I put the actual like pictures of me and and my children 
into the the te- the document as I was working on it because um, it's it's a memoir and essay so like some of it was published as almost standalone and then has been you know like edited and expanded or whatever in the in the process of making it into a book but the project really began with the um, idea of deconstructing my birth certificate and like taking a really close look at legal documents and and what they mean and playing with them. Um, I tend to be like a sort of morose writer sometimes and, and really like write about dark things, but I experienced a lot of joy in playing with these like legal documents that take on so much import and have so many like tangible consequences for trans people if they're not the right, the quote unquote right way. So I, I was like, I want to write about all this heavy stuff about like identity and, and how the world sees us and how there aren't, there isn't really language for like the way that I conceive of myself fitting in the world, but I want to do it in a way that will make me have fun while writing. Um, mm-hmm. So I started just like scanning all of the like shit that's like in my safe that we moved to Michigan with. Like we have our little fireproof safe that has like everybody's birth certificates and social security and like our car title and just like all the papers that you aren't supposed to lose. I just started, I just took them all to the library and scanned them and put them in Photoshop and started just like, you know, slightly tinting them and cutting them and writing like that, using that as like a prompt for writing. Um, So that's where like, that's where the visualness of it started. And from there that really like spiraled out. Like originally I, took my own birth certificate and I wrote like a 500 word annotation of it um, in Matthew Gavin Frank's writing class. I like brought it in as an assignment, but it was like basically a flash essay. And now it's like 60 pages of my book. Like I just really leaned into this idea of like interacting with documents as much as possible. Um, And I think as far as like using pictures, yeah, pictures make me have so many feelings and no matter how much like theory I read about like what is photography and what do images do like that stuff is great and I I think that it influences my writing but really at the end of the day it's like it's late at night and like my partner works nights so she's like at work and I'm like I've been at work all day and then like I start scrolling through like old pictures that I took with our camera in like photo app and I just like feel so many things um that I don't know I can, that I don't think writing is sufficient to communicate. So Mm. at the same time, I have the feeling of like, I have to force myself to be interested when people show me pictures and I don't know like who they are really or what they're talking about. You know, like if a coworker, even if I'm invested in them, if they're like, look at pictures of my new niece. I'm like, I don't want to, I do not, (laughs) I, I do not feel an attachment to looking at an image of someone that I don't have an investment in. So I, I felt like I wanted the photos in the book, not to like illustrate, they don't, they don't form like an illustrative thing. It's not like I am describing something and then showing a picture so that the reader like understands what it looks like or what it is. Um, it's more like I'm writing about a feeling and I hope that I conveyed it. And I want the feeling to be like enhanced by turning the page and seeing a picture. And sometimes it's like, cause the picture is dissonant, right? Like I'm writing about how it's difficult for me to conceive of like the way that ideas about fatherhood and masculinity were transi- transmitted to me through my father. Right. So I'm like writing and writing and writing. And then you turn the page and it's like, the most tender picture possible of like a father and child. 
and you're like, I feel like what, like, I feel all these contradictory things when I look at it. So I wanted it to be like a prompt to feel the things that I was trying to convey in my writing. Oh, I love that. Wonderful. So last question. What are you most hoping that readers will come away from the natural mother of the child understanding better about the many ways families can be? It's 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 an experience to have a book that's about queer things coming out like during um, Pride Month at a time when anti-trans legislation and how we talk about trans people in the public sphere is like just spiraling daily, it seems like. Um, because when I was writing, I was living in a pretty remote place and it's a pretty like artsy book. It's like um, it doesn't really explain things to anybody. It's not like um, I'm thinking of like uh, Jenny Boylan, She's Not There, which I adore. And I, I read as I was like going into writing and I was reading it just being like, wow, she's doing a really good job, like giving the basics for people who just like want to understand like what what is this thing? called transitioning when you're in middle age. Like I, you know, I, I don't know anything about it, but I want to. Um, so this is like not that kind of book. And I know that some people are going to pick it up because they're going to read what it's about. And I think that the, you know, the blurbs and the description are very accurate. Like it is a book that's about someone who is non-binary having a baby and then transitioning medically, like it's all true, but it's not, it doesn't offer any explanations for why did I do this and exactly how do I feel about it? And now how does this story like fit into the world? I'm not trying to do that. It's very much like a memoirist's memoir um, or like an essayist's essay. It's like, I'm trying to capture like feelings that I have and and I'm doing that by like engaging with other texts and, and ideas and just like memories and in like new and innovative ways I think um so all of that is to say like I I'm not exactly sure I want people to have an experience of like seeing a, a seeing a whole person like not just like taking a slice of like I really want to know what it's like when a trans person has a baby so I'm going to read this book and then I'm going to know about it it's more like I want people to see the me of that moment that I was capturing like I am transitioning out of this time in my life that I consider to be the postpartum period which for me lasted five years I think conceptually where I was just like I had a baby I'm recovering from it physically. I'm breastfeeding. Now the baby is like a very needy and clingy toddler. And then it's like, okay, like he's going to go to kindergarten and like, I'm going to move back to Philadelphia from this place. And like the period of time that I consider my postpartum period is over. And I want to write a story that's going to fully capture my humanity in that moment. Like, that's what I want people to come away with. Um, Just like that that image of someone who's like, I did a hard thing. I did a confusing thing. I have a lot of feelings about it. And I love my children and I love my family and I love my partner and I love my parents and my, and, but I also feel just conflicted about everything. Um, (laughs) I think trans people deserve to be in those like vulnerable portraits too. Um, And I love that more and more trans stories are just being published and being talked about because now we are, able to say like we're not going to just separate out the one story that gives the public gratification 
um, when I was writing, I was thinking a lot about this um, because my mother-in-law became ill like early on in the process of writing the book and she was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And then while I was writing the book, she died. So it was like very much, um, you know, when I had started writing, we knew that she was going to die. And then I was writing after that, like, period of time and I was very dedicated to including how monumental that was like not only for my partner but also for me and thinking about motherhood and what it means because like I don't only exist as like a trans gestational parent and some sort of slice like I am also experiencing like other things that happen in the world and and in my life at the same time that I'm having these thoughts about like gender and parenting um So yeah, my hope is really that people want to like want to engage with the self that I put across on the page without wishing that it was some sort of like FAQ type of book. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great note to end it on. Chris, thank you so much for your thoughtful answers to these questions and for your time for joining us today. It's been a, a real pleasure. Thank you, Zoe, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit more about the book. My name is Zoe Bossier, and you've been listening to an interview with Chris Malcolm Belk on New Books in Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Thanks for listening.